Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hello, culminators, and welcome to today's show. Melanie Notkin is our guest. Melanie is America's aunt. I'm not sure if she's ever used that term. And if I'm the first, I can, I'm going to let her have it for free. She writes about and talks about the idea of the unmarried woman of a certain age having a role in the lives of families and maximizing the stuff. And I want to understand it better. And we've followed each other on Twitter for a while and I've enjoyed her contributions. So I said, hey, let's talk. If we're going to talk, if we're going to hang out, let's at least get an episode out of it. So Melanie, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you very much. I was actually hoping for French fries along with the conversation if we were going to get together, but we'll have to save that for another opportunity. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you are, um, this is your website, okay, melanienotkin.com. Yeah. Good thing about it's having me. a name like Melanie Notkin is that you've got a pretty decent chance of getting your domain name Yes. Pretty far along, you know, into the history of, of, of that kind of stuff. Although I, I have ronkolma.com, which is a much, an immensely more common name, but I'm, I'm an early adopter, of course. Yes. Melanie, I'm looking at your website and you do all kinds of stuff. Tell us about the, 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 the ant, the otherhood concept, the ant. You've written more, it looks to me like more than one book. Two books. Okay. Yeah. One, one, one of them is. So the first is Savvy Auntie, The Ultimate Guide for Cool Ants, Great Ants, Godmothers, and All Women Who Love Kids. And it's based on the concept I launched back in 2008 uh, for ants, whether they're ants by relation, uh, sibling, or ant by choice to friends, kids, or to a group of children in your life. I will correct you. It's not just for single women or never married women. Right. It's for all women. Yes. It's more about being childless than the, about. Okay. Oh, okay. That is, that is the thing. Yes. Is, that is, is the thing. Taking, taking your ability to be nurturing and loving and value adding potentially to a child and making it other ch- children who are not your own offspring part of your correct. life. Correct. 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 More women today are entering their 30s without having had a child um, than ever before. The majority of those- got to be true, doesn't it? It is. It is true. Yeah. In the history of mankind, because there's, well, first there's more women than ever before, which is a good start. Correct. But historically, women got married pretty close to when they could start bearing children. Correct. In order to avoid starving to death, but then taking on the risk of dying <laughs> by having children. That is true too. <laughs> and you know, the only time I could think, and I don't know the date on this, that maybe this 
there was a, you know, a, a blip in this sort of data is maybe after, you know, World War One or something as young men died in war. And so there were fewer men with whom women could have children. But that aside, not that that's not a big deal. Obviously, it's a huge deal. Um, today, women are having their first child later than ever. They're also marrying later than ever, to your point. But the majority of those women, like myself, are childless by circumstance. I always expected to have children. I, I mean, I had at age 12, I bought a baby name book because I had imagined that I was going to have twin girls. There are no twins in my family, at least not then. And I liked alliteration. So first I was going for Bonnie and Buffy. Then that changed because what was I thinking? And, but I was determined I was going to have children. I even planned my wedding in our backyard. The white picket fence would have to be repainted a little bit. We take down the badminton net but I could walk down that, those stairs down to the main area with my dad and get married. And here I am at 54, as we say, God plans. And, I mean, we plan, God laughs. Montracht, so, God lacht. There you go. Actually, I think I said, I think that I might be, not quite have that right. One of my kids corrected it. All right, but in any, in any event, I get the point. Is that You yes, get the we, point. We think we've got to figure it out. And we don't necessarily, yeah. have, especially with respect to our futures. And not even figured out, just, it wasn't even, a, it was just going to be, there was no plan. Although I did move to New York nearly 30 years ago from Montreal, expecting there'd be more Jewish guys here, which there are, just, there are also more Jewish women. Um, so, you know, but but again, more women are are entering their 30s, childless than women have babies in their 20s or earlier. And so we have this, this sort of, most women end up having children. So let's understand that. However, we're having them later. And meanwhile, we're having this longer extended part of our life where we're childless. Some say child-free. Those are women who choose not to have children. I First of all, I'm not child-free, I'm not childless by choice, but also I don't love the term. I find it a little offensive to children. But anyway, um, so we have well, this... Was, you you yeah. know what? It's not a but anyway. It's, it's a very big deal. You are... Mm -hmm. you, because I think, I think that listeners and viewers should understand, what, which is what I think I understand, is that you're not an advocate for childlessness. No, not at all. Not at all. I very much wanted children, as do, again, about 80% of women who are childless are childless by circumstance. They don't have a partner in their life with whom to have children. And I say partner because many women are, are acquiescing. I, I'll say acquiescing to living with her boyfriend um, instead of getting married. We have some commitment issues in America, actually in the West today. And I, I truly believe that women acquiesce to that so that she's that one step closer to him agreeing to finally have children. He's in somewhat of a commitment. Um, so we're having this extended life period before we're having children. There is among younger children, more of a you know, more women, I don't have the data on this because it's still happening now. There's this trend of women choosing to be childless as if it were some sort of feminist flag that we might have seen in the mid to late 60s, um, which, of course, I don't think it's 
feminist not to want the things that is part of the human condition for women but of course not all women want children and i i champion the choice women who don't want children for whatever reason shouldn't have children they don't want but again there's this misnomer there or this this sort of myth that women over the age of 30 are all childless by choice and again most of us are not okay so we have clarified that and that, and that, that is a big deal and, and it, and it makes to, to me as just an observer i have no special qualifications to judge this uh but it it enables me to look at your project mm -hmm. much more generously mm -hmm. because you're saying this is i think you're saying this is a valuable part of being a person and maybe even being a woman and if you're childless, even if you're child free, mm -hmm. you and another human being or more than one may, may and very well, will very likely, I assume, benefit from being a person in a child's life. No question. I say antid is a gift. It's a gift for the children. Often not only a gift of love, but also a gift of gifts. <laughs> um, it's a gift for the parents who often need our support, and I can give you more detail on that. And of course, it's a gift for us, especially those of us who have children in our lives that we can exercise that maternal muscle with. Even again, to your point, if we're child-free by choice, women just because women don't want children, their own children, doesn't mean they don't love the children in their life. And again, it could be, some will say, well, you know, I, I, my, I only have one sibling and he's only 23 and he doesn't have, not even married. But uh, what I say is if you've ever paid full price for a gap baby, <laughs> you're an aunt, <laughs> you know, everybody, you know, that's the woman that those children in your life, you know, that, that you just end up spoiling for whatever reason you well, just I'll have a you, close I'm, connection look, with. The good, as an uncle, mm -hmm. as well as a father. Yes. But I'm I'm a, I'm quite a bit more of an uncle than I am as a father numerically. The great uh -huh. thing about unclehood is you can have all this warmth and affection, and you're related. If you're really literally an uncle, you're related to the parents. Yes. Uh, but then you don't have to put them to bed, <laughs> and, and you go home when the party's over. You know. Yeah. But, but you're talking about something potentially. You know, in my case, being an uncle is an accident of, uh, you know, of, of, of family history. But you're talking about making affirmative, taking affirmative steps, not by accident, but to have this happen. So, yes, let's not the easy cases. If you, you know, Melanie has brothers, Melanie has sisters, they have children, she's their aunt. OK, but you're talking about something more affirmative than that. Tell me what that's about. Well, so I mentioned that I had planned to have twins, twin girls. I had this vision. And about 32 years later, or when I was 32-ish, I think. No, um, let me, just, my, let me my, stop you for a second. And I, sure. I do this with my guests. And if I were really super well prepared, I wouldn't have to stop them because I would have this really well-ordered. But who is Melanie at this point? What have you been doing with yourself? Are you, were you playing major league sports? I, I, I don't know what your, what your 
background is before yeah. you became a professional Melanie? <laughs> Um, so I grew up in Montreal, uh, went to McGill University in East Asian Studies. I studied Japanese because I thought, well, Sony was, you know, the apple of its day back then True. and um, ended up actually in marketing, but in in Jewish outreach, actually, and moved to New York, ended up at um, NJOP, what was then called National Jewish Outreach Program, sure. helped develop Shabbat across America and read oh, America. Really? Yeah. So he's very involved in in marketing to Jews about the joys of Jew, Jewish life. Okay. And um, myself was more observant and again had moved to New York thinking, OK, I will. You know, I worked in Jewish community because of visa issues with Canada, moving to the States. Um, and I embraced all the things that um, one does to feel connected to community, hoping within that community, I would find family, my own family. Um, the years passed by, I got a green card, ended up working in um, internet marketing for the New York Times, then for American Express, and eventually for L'Oreal USA, was there for a number of years, and then decided, it was in my late 30s, um, and I'd always been entrepreneurial, that if I weren't to have children, and then I was still very hopeful, that I wanted to have legacy and decided to cut that story short to create a, um, a, a platform for women who don't have children and love the children in their life. I could see just by looking at just basic census data that women, um, you know, com compared to 1976 when they first started looking at birth rates in America, fertility rates rather, that women in 1976, about 35% of women um, were childless in their fertile age. And now at that point, when I launched in 2008, it was about 45% and now it's about 50%. So women are having their first child later and they're having fewer children. And some women are not having the children they always dreamed of. Most of those women are single. And so I launched Savvy Auntie. Um, and I did actually try, I, I did, I was referred to, you know, America's auntie at one point, which I <laughs> totally embraced. And, um, and you know, and that's where the book Savvy Auntie came about. That's on my left, your right. And, um, and that did very well. And I was doing TV and writing for other outlets. And then I started to write about the pain of being childless. Because again, to my earlier point of women, and men, everybody assumes that women after a certain age are childless by choice. And so I wrote very honestly um, and vulnerably, vulnerab with a lot of vulnerability for having to post in psychology. Vulnerably, yeah, that's a good Vulnerably, one. right? It's hard to like. Let's look out. that up. No, no. So, uh, and I, I wrote a piece called um, The Truth About Childless Women. And that was the summer of 2011. That piece went viral. I ended up on CNN and Good Day New York. And it showed how, you know, most women want children, all the data to support it. And my sincere story of, of that dream, you know, slowly ebbing because of my age. And so, there you go. And so I then um, started to write about that issue more and more. And that's what became my second book, this yellow one. Um, otherhood, modern women finding a new kind of happiness 
that's a reported memoir, meaning it's my voice narrating with a lot of my stories, but really talking to women about their stories, women who expected the love, marriage, and children our mothers had and our aunts had, but we'd also have the education and careers that they didn't have as much access to. And yet among the women, we did everything we were supposed to do. And yet among the most well-educated, most financially independent women in America, many remain single and childless. All right. And that's so, what so, that book's about. So that is, that is, I think, the, the real challenge in this sort of formulation. Here's otherhood. Because you've already, we've already established that you're not an advocate for uh, otherhood as an exclusive. And that's a great title. Who, Thank that you. you? Of, you, yes, it was. You get that's great. That's, Thank that, you. That is a very, very, very cool. Um, Thank you. You're not an advocate for not being a mom. You wanted to be a mom. You had very much very specific motherhood plans. Didn't find the right guy at the right time. Correct. Despite being in this really, you know, fertile. Jewish outreach scene. <laughs> um, you talk about the having it all kind of concept, right? You would you would have wanted to have been a mother as well as having have a career and the, you know, the, 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 that sort of self fulfillment. But you probably know from, you know, having sat in on a lot of the Jewish outreach stuff and been involved in it, that you know there is a very strong argument from traditional life, which is mm -hmm. that not only can you really not have it all, but mm -hmm. almost either as a woman or as a man, mm -hmm. uh, but that there has to be a sacrifice. In fact, mm -hmm. if you're going to be a mom, you're, you're going to be on perhaps bed rest. You're going to have children, even if you want to hand them off to someone else for all kinds of responsibility, you're not going to be on the same track for career or social mm -hmm. advancement. Do no you doubt. do you think that? But but on the other hand, when you're single, what the, like you can't say, well, I'm going to simulate not. Well, I'm what am be, I supposed? Yeah, <laughs> I'm so. What I'm supposed to live with my my 90 year old dad and let him support me? Like you know what? Like like it's, I have to pay the rent. You know, I wasn't. Right. Well, I wasn't prioritizing career. Right. And in but fact, I, when I when I was moving to New York, my first interview was actually with UJA Federation, and I actually asked about maternity benefits. That's how much I assumed I was going to get married and have children. I and I was working in Jewish community again because, well, I'd have more flexibility to take off, you know, erev yantiv, right? So um, and cook, um, which I still do. I still you know make yantiv dinners for friends, etc. But I. You know, where, where I actually you chose now? that lifestyle. You still New York in City. city? You still Upper in the city. West Side. Uh -huh. Yeah. Okay. And um and so, you know, I it wasn't that I was prioritizing career. It was that, you know, we we are as part of civil society, we don't expect the government to subsidize our life or hope they won't have to subsidize our life. We have to have a job. And you know, it so it wasn't it was never about having it all. Um it was about reaching my potential both as a human being who wanted to have children, of course, find love in, in advance of that, and other ways that I can contribute to the world. And, and I, I, that's why I started my own business with Savianti and then wrote 
these books and and was have been so honest and forthright about my own experience so that other women wouldn't feel alone and you know those my writings are global like people i get letters from all over the world for women who feel very um simpatico who expected love marriage and motherhood and um so how do you do and, it how do you now again i i interrupted my own the, your your ability to answer my own question you're putting aside family hack happenstance which i'm sure that this could apply to as well but how does a person situated such as you are and after all you're in a strange city what was once a strange city to you but i assume that you're the rest of your family's in or around montreal actually no my my brother at the time was living in new jersey later oh. moved into the city now is back in new jersey um, which, by the way, is just to give you that, go back to that story for a second. Oh, yeah. So when I was about 32, my brother had twin girls. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and then just, uh, you know, stick it to me one more time. And I'm being facetious. I mean, love my nieces. He had a second set of twin oh. girls. So I actually have my brother, Kenner, has six children. They're young. Now some of them are young adults, including uh two sets of twin girls. So two I did get my, I did get my, my dream came true for my brother. Um, but if it wasn't to me and, you know, maybe I have some sort of, maybe I am a little bit of a prophetess because I could see it. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, wrong, and, and, it also seemed, and it does seem as you could see it. And also in accordance with your, with your thesis, you mm -hmm. could live it. Mm -hmm. If you, if you, all right. So how do you do it? How do you do it without, first of all, Mm. weirding out the parents why does this lady <laughs> want to be around here so much what, what's mm. the what's the what's the formula so first of all parents would do well to embrace the childless aunts and uncles in their children's lives and that is because in about 2016 there was a uh, an article of rather a, a a study out of wake forest university that looked at the happiness gap between parents and non-parents in 20 nations and the widest gap was in the united states and the reason they say this happened the researchers is because the us is so individualistic we're so this is my family this is how we do things and i don't need help and i can do it and part of again the woman not only can have it all she can do it all and um people who don't have children well they don't know anything you know you don't have no you know how many times have you heard um politicians say of another politician who's childless they're saying this about um Tim Scott now because he doesn't have children well he has no investment in the future which is so such an ugly thing to say to childless people so um however in societies whereby so but in societies where they are more community-based they're more socialist or social there's more social cohesion socially. um so socially social social e yeah. they actually the happiness gap is much narrower um so for instance in the us when 
a mother or a dad um, is able to leave work early to because their kid is sick or the school play um, where the, the non-parent is the one who always has to pick up the slack, um, who doesn't get rewarded just for being a parent, even though it's about work. I remember Advertising Age had a big uh, awards for, for moms in advertising. And I was like, what about the woman who picked up the slack when she was on maternity leave? You know, what, what about the women who help make all of this happen so that the mom can have her ability to parent her child. And when parents recognize the contributions of the non-parent at work and also at home, the one who, you know, yes, you said, of course, you, when it comes to changing the diaper, well, you know, I used to have this rule, um, six months or solid food, whatever comes first, I stopped changing diapers, um, which I'm kidding, because I didn't stop then. Um, <laughs> you know, when we, when, that's your, that's your opening see, bit gambit. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I try, you know, solid food, six months. So um, the when, when parents embrace the non-parent, that's actually eases their stress. And everybody and the non-parent feels like their, their contributions are appreciated. In fact, they begin to even see how they are contributing. They have they value themselves more. So that's one thing that parents, and, and I'm very fortunate that my brother and sister-in-law embraced me um, from the my nephew, the first um, child. So, and as more children came, obviously, you know, the aunt there who could play with the older children while mom could breastfeed the younger twin girls, you know, that's very helpful. And they've always embraced how I can share my, my, talents, my things that I enjoy, my passions, my worldview with my nephew and nieces. And that's, I mean, they've always appreciated and I have always told them how much I appreciate how much they embrace me. I mean, my nieces, they, you know, go to, you know, all girls schools. When they were very little, there were a lot of these mommy and me type events and I was always invited and I said to my niece she said she was I don't know seven or eight auntie you have to come to our mommy and me event whatever it was and I said but darling I'm not your mommy and she said but you're like a mommy and I realized I was the only aunt at all of these things because my sister-in-law understood my relationship with her son and daughters was so important to them, to their well-being. God forbid anything, God forbid a million times over, anything happened to my, happens to my sister-in-law and or my brother, I'm here, you know? Um, so that's how they embrace me and I am so grateful that they do that. And when it, there's never any sort of sorrow or envy or anything um, when it's your family, generally speaking. So when, you know, another set of twin girls, you know, and I'm laughing now at this point of how funny it is. And I'm just, there's just so, so much more to love. I am so exquisitely fortunate to be an aunt. Okay. So here again, you've described the natural aunt and you've also, reading between the lines, you're part of a more traditional community, mm -hmm. as I am, where people have lots of children. Both of my married children are married to, I have all boys, four boys, mm -hmm. including a set of twins, so. There you go. And each of my married sons is married to women from 
pretty large families, at least, mm -hmm. you know. And what you're what you're talking about is a no-brainer. I mean, part of this, I guess, this American individualism slash atomization, where every person becomes an island. You know, they often you're you're in New York City. People often say it's, you know, eight million lonely people. You know, I mean, yeah. all everyone's there, but but there's not necessarily a lot of community. Um, you have this. Um, so so there, so there it, it occurs naturally. But, but mm -hmm. what's your advice or what's the formula for someone who isn't in that kind of community? And oh, well, okay, if they're Jewish, you, you're in, you've been in Jewish outreach and you'd like them to, to, to come to that community, but fine. All things being equal though, generally speaking, someone wants this in her life and she doesn't have married siblings or she's not near married siblings. Mm -hmm. She would like to be a giver. She's not up for adopting. That's not what we're talking about right. here. Right. What, what, what does she do to, to do it? Like I said, without seeming strange yeah <laughs> well i mean it really so again there's the whole concept of being an aunt by choice and most women especially in single communities like new york city like la big cities where there are a lot of singles friends tend to become each other's family in fact otherhood is dedicated to my friends the family i choose and um, and I have several friends who don't have children and um, their nephew and nieces may live far away um, or they're older, they're adults now. So sort of that, you know, it's a little different when from being a two-year-old to being a 25-year-old. That relationship doesn't mean it's not closer or different. It's just they're not little kids. So women tend to um, can, you know, connect with their very close friends' children. and. And there, and especially now, we see more women choosing to have a child on her own later in life. Um, you know, she could be forty, and so she needs her friends' help. Um, so there are so many ways for a woman to be an aunt, and there's there are so many aunts who are educators, coaches, tutors, um, they healthcare workers pediatricians, they find so many ways to be part of a child's life. So it's not just being, you know, an aunt by relation. There's so many ways to exercise that. So the point of, of, of your message is that they should, they should be, they should look for those opportunities and that they will sure. benefit and grow from them. Well, no question, but I don't even know that they have to look. I mean, this comes naturally, especially for that 80% of women who want children of their own. They're always, you know, and, and again, those are child free. They, women tend to have a maternal instinct and connect with children. And, um, are you, you allowed know, to say they, that? I am. I don't, what do you mean? Well, women as opposed to men, as opposed to, in other words, are women psychologically and emotionally different from men? Is that really um, what you? I, yes, I think it so. is really what I'm saying. Yes, of course. It's what, <laughs> yes, of course. I mean, you know, it it is what it is evolutionarily speaking, and of course there are exceptions, and of course there are women who are on it. They don't have that, and there are men who are much more um, caring and all of that. But in general, yes, we know you were being facetious. I was being facetious. Yes. Yes. I guess. Um, but but have you gotten any sort of pushback from the feminist, you know, mm. uh, world on, on your, no? No. Wow. No. 
No, and I'm very fortunate and I haven't gotten pushback from moms either. And partly because I don't speak ill of anybody. It's not a competition. I'm not mm -hmm. saying, you know, because it's better than, in fact, there are nine principles of how to be a savvy auntie. And the number one is parents rule that, you know, it's not your child unless, unless the welfare of the child is in danger. Right. Um, that's a different story, but otherwise, you know, you're, you're, you're not the mom. It's not your decision. You don't take your kid to don't take their kid to get their ears pierced at age eight because the kid wants it. And mom said, no, like, you know, you, oh, you have to know the boundaries, well, right? That, yeah, that would that would be a, a very unhealthy approach. Right. Um, one of the things I think of people don't appreciate and this is this is well established in Jewish sensibility that the best way to develop a bond is to give. Mm -hmm. People think that if A gives B a gift, then B will like A better. Well, that is true, but A will like B immensely better. This is a concept I was first introduced to by Rabbi Weinberg. Mm -hmm. Giving, once you give someone, you have a you have a connection to them. You have, you have made an investment in them, mm -hmm. and. If people, if someone doesn't have the opportunity, and, and parents, thing about being a parent is that you have ample opportunity to give. Um, yes. And so obviously there's this tremendous investment in them unless you're, you know, psychologically unwell. Uh, people who don't have children don't, you don't have to miss out on this experience of being givers and the, the 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 spiritual and psychological uh, wash of of good feelings that come from from giving, not giving and announcing or giving and signaling, or giving for your own benefit. You're giving. You are giving for the other person's benefit, but inc incidentally or axiomatically, you become a receiver. Absolutely. That's what I said earlier about aunthood being a gift. It's also a gift for the aunt because she's able to have that reciprocal um, connection with a child, um, not her own. The reason why Savvy Auntie, what sparked the idea was my nephew, who was my first nephew or niece, um, he was just age two. And I'd been coaching him literally from he was an hour old. Fresh, very fresh baby. And I said to him that very fresh. I said to him that I'm an auntie and I'm his family. And I kept saying, I'm your auntie, I'm your family, because I didn't want him to think I was a nanny, a fly by night caregiver, you know, that I was his family always there. And of course he didn't. Didn't I mean he's a smart kid, but he was only an hour old at the time. But I kept saying it. And um, and he turned to me at just age two in front of the whole family, my, I keep calling them my in-laws, my brother's in-laws, um, so that everybody could witness it. And he said, Auntie, we're family. And that meant the world to me, that he understood. He, and he looked at me in the eyes, like he got it. Like I am never going to leave him, even though I'm not his mom. And that's why my my little niece could say, but you're like a mommy. 
And it's like another niece said to me on Mother's Day, actually, just when my book came out, 2011, she's 20 now, so you do the math. I don't know, she was nine. And I was there for, it was Sunday, I was there, it was Mother's Day. And she said, Auntie, happy Mother's Day. And I said, thank you, honey, but I'm not a mommy. She said, but you're like a mommy. And, you know, those things make me feel so good because it's not that they think I am their mommy, I'm not but that they understand that they can trust me and they can, you know, I call it being a confidant. They can, they can share things with me that maybe they don't um, feel like they want to share with their parents, even though thankfully it seems they have a very good relationship with their parents and open them with, et cetera. But, you know, that bond is very powerful. And to your point, gosh, does that make me feel good? I mean, I launched a whole company based on what my nephew said, right? And, those um, those feelings can help women, especially those who want children. And of course, we didn't mention those women who are have um, issues with fertility or challenges with their health and can't have babies. That um, that they know that there is a connection, a um, spiritual, a um, physiological, I, I don't know what you want to call it, there is legacy there because of that love connection. Um, and I'm very, very fortunate in that I have one niece who, much more attractive, beautiful, gorgeous girl, is my twin. <laughs> I mean, she, we, she like, even my sister-in-law like, click. You, you uh, well, she looks like me, like she looks like like I was one out with her and her twin sister. They were very young. And the woman at the pizza store said, oh, so is this your daughter and her, her friend? You know, so, you know, so I have that too. But it's so wonderful to be able to see if you, if you are unable to have the children and therefore the legacy be one of, you know, Avram's countless stars, you know, we can still see it both in terms of the way we feel and if we're lucky in the DNA of our nieces and nephews. Well, this is a very important point is that is that legacy isn't only isn't only um, transmitted. And investments in, 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 in the future of humanity are not only uh, found th through biological or genetic connections. Finally, you let you let something slip a minute ago. Yes. My wife is from New England. Mm -hmm. And she's lived with me in New Jersey for many years now. And I think she's probably gotten used to it. But I, she always, no, but she still this day says aunt. I say aunt too, but so many say auntie. But and my nephew needs to start saying auntie. So. Was, well, but, but, but I mean, in the New York area, most people say aunt. Yes. And and as my wife, she, she's not a person who goes around correcting people, but I'm sure she would agree that aunt is really is really the the proper pronunciation of the word. Actually, there's a in in other in in savvy auntie that we actually show oh. where in the map who says what where it comes oh, from why really? do some I'd say aunt to, oh. and aunt yeah. So I actually had expected to be called auntie. My mother uh, was British. She was born in England and then lived in Canada. And, and ah, so she even in my, 
Yeah. My family in New York, they were the were the English ones and they moved to New York. And so I always called them auntie and I expect to be an auntie, but my New Jersey niece, nephew and nieces call me auntie. And as they say, as long as you don't call me late for dinner, it's all okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad we called you and, and asked you to come onto the show. Is there anything that we should tell people about besides the fact that you are... Your name, Melanie Notkin, you spell you say it, you spell it like it sounds, is your handle and it's your website. And the website is a very well, savvy auntie is my handle. S-A-V-V-Y. Oh, actually, sa your, your handle on Twitter is savvy auntie. Correct. Even though it it reads as Melanie Notkin. Yeah, they do that now. They changed it a while back. Um, so but Got on it. Instagram, et cetera, it's Savvy auntie. Savvy, savvy auntie. Savvy savvy, auntie. Savvy, savvy auntie. auntie. But never yes. savvy auntie. Right. That, that just That's, would make no that sense. That would be of, weird. But I don't Correct. even think an Englishman would say savvy. I mean, that would maybe <laughs> that would be a very pretentious accent. Melanie. And I but I have a oh. big announcement. The 15th annual Auntie's Day or Auntie's Day is it's always the fourth Sunday in July and this year it's Sunday July 23rd it's a day like Mother's Day or Father's Day set aside to celebrate all the other mothers in a child's life okay Melanie <laughs> thanks again well thank you Ron it was a pleasure to be here lovely to finally meet you same here. in person that's right and you know we are just across the river so maybe you'll come over for Shabbos one time Oh, that'd be lovely. Thank you. Okay. Have a good one. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.